Greetings to you all. This is Seth Whispleway. I'm a pastor in the United Church of Christ. I use he and him pronouns, and I'm speaking with you all from Tucson, Arizona, which is located on the occupied land of the Tohono O'odham Nation and its people who have stewarded this land for generations. It is a gift to be with you all on this Super Sermon Sunday weekend. I find it a wonderful happenstance outcome that the lectionary gave us the Beatitudes on Super Bowl Sunday this year. Or perhaps like the strong wind that blew down large sections of the border wall in California this week, it wasn't happenstance at all, but the Ruach, the Holy Spirit breath of God. Who's to say? In either case, and either way, here we are. Sunday, February 2nd, 2020, is the High Holy Day of our American Church, our national church and religion, where the dominant intersecting spiritualities that govern our country, white supremacy, patriarchy, militarism, and exploitative consumer capitalism, are placed on the altar for worship for the charismatic faith revival that is the Super Bowl. But whatever you do, don't kneel before that altar. Stand and salute. Now, before you feel guilty about watching the game, know that I will be watching along and enjoying with many of you. It's just important to know what is going on and why at a spiritual level in our lives in this tradition, always. And on this weekend, in our faith tradition, we are given by the lectionary the most famous, foundational, hitching post sermon from the one who guides us and names us and calls us beloved as individuals and as a church in Christ. The juxtaposition really stands alone as its own sermon, it's Super Bowl Sunday, Super Sermon Sunday for us. And yet these beatitudes, these teachings of blessings, these clarion calls of Jesus's once and future ministry, somehow the Ten Commandments became the fight for prominence in our public spaces by some ostensible Christians. And the symbols of empire, the American flag, usually accompanied by the Christian crusader flag, fly above and alongside the cross that the empire used to crucify the Jesus we worship and strive to follow in way too many of our Christian spaces and sanctuaries, our spaces that are committed to serve the least and the lost and the mourning and the merciful those ground underfoot or ignored by the machinations of our modern empire. Find me some stone tablets of the Beatitudes posted around a courthouse somewhere and I'll buy you a beer. Find me a flag flying high over a sanctuary that blesses peacemakers as the ones, the only ones, with the keys to the kingdom and we'll have a party. <laughs> So why not the Beatitudes in these places? 
The Beatitudes and these other verses today are cornerstone sermons already written for us. And for that reason, we run the risk of experiencing their seismic challenge to our world, their dreams and plans of God as white noise. Pun intended? And as I was rereading these foundational texts for our proclaimed faith and ostensible reasons for congregating, and as I thought about the NFL and the Super Bowl, I realized I've spoken and published words aplenty on these things already. So instead of repeating myself where I've said these things elsewhere, though let's be honest, Jesus does it plenty. And rather than run the risk of tuning anyone out, I want to tell a story. A parable, if you will. And here I'm also in good company. Parables were one of Jesus' foremost, if not most important, methods and tools for making the meaning of his ministry known. And for us today and every day, they serve as guideposts for our ongoing faith that can give us courage to live as if the hitching post of the Beatitudes is true. Here's Brian McLaren with a little more on parables from the chapter in his book, We Make the Road by Walking, titled Jesus the Teacher. McLaren documents six primary tools Jesus used to teach, signs and wonders, public lectures, impromptu moments, private retreats and field trips with his disciples, public demonstrations, and parables. Remember, this was before podcasts. As as McLaren points out, Jesus loved to teach through the finely crafted works of short fiction called parables. He often introduces them with these words, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear! Jesus knew that most adults quickly sort messages into either-or categories. Agree, disagree. Like, dislike. Familiar, strange. In so doing, McLaren says, we react and argue without actually hearing and thinking about what is being said. Jesus' parables drew his hearers into deeper thought by engaging their imagination and by inviting interpretation instead of reaction and argument. In this way, parables put people in position of children who are more attracted to stories than to arguments. Faced with a parable, listeners were invited to give matters a second thought. They could then ask questions, stay curious, and seek something deeper than agreement or disagreement, namely meaning. So, let those with ears to hear listen. Once upon a time, a famous gladiator with many victories in the arena and strong favor and funding in the emperor's leadership circles decided one morning to head to the Colosseum early to catch some of the early amateur matches before his own contest that afternoon. He leaned against the wall in the ringside tunnel, the courtside seat, so to speak, providing him with a ground-level view of the action. 
And it was the same tunnel where the lesser and or enslaved athletes were forced into play to prove themselves. That is, their last protected moment before they fought for their very survival. This view was new and refreshing. It had been a long time since the gladiator had had to enter a coliseum this way. He was now used to descending to raucous applause from a senator's skybox. And being down here brought back many memories and complicated feelings. While he was reminiscing, a line of shackled men were driven alongside the opposite wall from where he stood in his polished armor. These were the fresh meat, so to speak, plucked from the front lines of Rome's latest conquest. He noticed they were dark-skinned, all of them, some of them very dark. They were to be used in one of the ghastly winner-take-all round-robin contests that warmed up the early crowd. And at that moment, a commotion came up from the rear. One of the men knew what was coming and was not only loudly protesting, but asking the others to join him in resisting their unjust treatment. Something stirred inside the gladiator. The man was absolutely justified in his protest. What had he done to be pulled over like this, and put in bondage for the sake of sport, for others' entertainment? Who gave the empire impunity or those who governed the games, the games he was a part of? Now, before the gladiator had a chance to really even take stock of the situation unfolding before him, though, a nearby guard cut off any debate, drawing his short sword and driving it through the man, sending a message to the other prisoners, the would-be gladiators, about how much their lives mattered if they, too, asserted themselves. The other guards stood around and smirked, driving this point even further home. The gladiator knew this was the norm, but the connection to his own past and his own identity was fully alive in this moment of bearing direct witness to murder. And combined with how distant it felt to the world, he was cheered for entertaining now Something stirred. Something was undone. Something turned around. That afternoon, he entered the Colosseum from the same ground floor gate. A murmur went through the crowd, a stir. How did he come out of there? And then? And then the famous gladiator lay down his arms. He would entertain, but he would not entertain the empire. Not while other humans were killed without a care in the world. Not until their lives were celebrated like his. The gladiator removed his helmet, and he sang a psalm or snippets of one he once knew. He knew in that moment this would cost his career at the least his reputation, his livelihood even, his life. But he was free and would stand free until all those at risk of being stabbed with impunity were free too. 
And Jesus said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. And when he was alone, those who were around him along with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything comes in parables in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive. Now the key to being an insider is to gather around Jesus and listen close to get the meanings explained closely, to discuss together as disciples. Did you know or remember that in reading the Beatitudes, the text actually says that Jesus is really only giving that teaching to his disciples of whom there are only four at that point, according to Matthew? Blessed is he or she who wrote them down for us. Blessed are they. Blessed is Colin Kaepernick and those persecuted for justice sake. For his is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the farm workers who spend countless backbreaking hours picking the food, going in our spinach artichoke dips and seven layer salads this weekend. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those parents separated from their children and those widows and widowers in our sanctuaries today and those who have lost close friends after long lives together for you will be comforted blessed are kids in our sanctuary who feel free to be themselves and dance on the steps to the altar for they will inherit the earth blessed is Franz Jagerstatter and those who thirst for justice for he was filled and they will be filled. Blessed are those who give rides to church and to appointments for those who are alone or can't drive themselves for they will receive mercy. Blessed is Greta Thunberg for she will see God. Blessed are those who risk the empire's approval and security by proclaiming with their lives and bodies that black lives matter, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are you, members, friends, and visitors gathered here today, when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Jesus's life-giving account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in the kingdom of heaven here on earth and beyond. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. My friends, living, active faith is dynamically alive. It risks by leaning into new questions. It listens to the world and the cries of injustice generated by police brutality against black and brown Americans, for example, and it interrogates and expresses the response and purposes of the living God.
this faith brings those questions and responses to our churches and commissions us to kneel in lament and prophetic advocacy. For those feeling called to invest in church life in some way, may ours be ones that subvert these four dominant national spiritualities of white supremacy and patriarchy and militarism and consumer capitalism, not churches that subscribe to them. If your denomination or church reinforces these spiritualities, then it's a social club for building American equity, not a church for gospel witness. The way of Jesus is an antidote to each of these spiritualities and a hitching post for embodying the truth that we belong to each other. The Beatitudes guide us there. No institutions, religious or civil, are going to be perfect. And living in the United States means we will always live in the gray area in some way. But life is too short and church is too optional not to try harder. Lives, and whether they matter equally, are on the line. Blessed are those who try harder through the simple act of embodying solidarity, especially on the high holy days of empire. Amen.